0: hearing? Hold on, he said. Okay, there we go. I see it. All right. Well, good to see everybody here today. And uh, boy, we got a good group here this morning already for Sunday school and maybe a few more will trickle in for church. And uh, then next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll uh, our, our stay-at-home order's done tomorrow. So uh, hopefully next Sunday we'll be back to full capacity and uh, encourage folks to come out and be a part of that. And uh, we're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 39 this morning. If you'd like to go ahead and find your way there. And uh, keep in prayer Uh, some folks. uh, Miss June Bowen, I talked to her yesterday. And uh, she has not been able to do her chemo again because of uh, her blood count being low. And so they're changing some things on that. And she hopes to find out they're going to do some more. Uh, blood work on Tuesday, and then hopefully uh, they're changing her schedule, so it should give her body time to rebuild blood counts between the chemo treatments, and they're hoping that that will work. So pray for that. Uh, they're going to test her, I guess, Tuesday, and then a week from Tuesday is when they're they're shooting for starting the chemo again for her, and so if you will, pray for that. Uh, also for her daughter Desiree and the family, uh, things that they're dealing with. That God will bless. There, she asks specifically that our church be praying for that. Um, as we mentioned last week, continue to pray for my brother-in-law TJ. Uh, he is home, and I uh, texted him this morning, and uh, he's he's doing well. And they're uh, they've started the medication. They're praying that there's not a lot of adverse uh, effects from the medication. Um, but uh, for those that didn't know yet, or if you're on live stream and haven't heard. Uh, my brother-in-law was diagnosed with uh, chronic leukemia, which is the better form if there's anything, any such thing as that. But it's uh, treatable by medication rather than the chemo and all the invasive things that they have to do. Uh, so pray that, uh, that the medication will be fine. Everything will work out well there. Uh, also continue to pray for my sister. Uh, she went in and had a cat scan done, and uh, they found out she didn't have any cats. Um, just kidding. Y'all are sitting there too, too straight, but yet, not awake yet. Um, but uh, anyway, they, we've not heard yet the results, but uh, they did some CAT scans hoping to find the issues and the problems. And hopefully they're, they're optimistically thinking that perhaps it can be dealt with either by medication or some minor surgery, uh, if there is such a thing as minor surgery. It's only minor if it's not happening to you, I think, usually, but uh, not as invasive of a surgery. Let's put it that way, I guess, would be the better way. Um, so pray for her if you will, continue to pray for her uh, Also, uh, continue to pray for Brother Bob Schwabert I've been having a very difficult time getting hold of uh, his son Tim I've been trying uh, this week several times And uh, I've not gotten an update So uh, I hope to hear something from him soon uh, So pray for Brother Bob Schwabert and the family And um, that God will give grace there during that time Pray for the building to sell uh, over at Beacon Baptist That God will uh, bring the right person along for that And, uh, let's see, uh, pray for Laverne, uh, Miss Sandy said she is home and she might come today. Maybe you think she said something like that. So, uh, continue to pray for her. And that's an answer to prayer. We thank the Lord for that. And uh, good to see the petty bones here. Praise the Lord. Good to see y'all. And, uh, so certainly a joy to have uh, more people in the auditorium. It is difficult to teach or preach without a lot of people here. And um so anyway, good to have them here well uh with us as well. Um and uh so then and then keep uh uh Sarah Harris in prayer, if you will. And uh I saw Brother Everett today. He came by earlier this morning and Miss Um uh, uh, Florence and they're doing okay. Brother Everett I asked him how he was doing, he said, not real good. He's he's been having some rough days here. So uh keep him in prayer. And uh he's uh He's lost a lot of strength in the last few months, and so uh, pray for him. He said that recliner is getting real old, <laughs> real quick. Uh, he is still getting out and trying to do his lawn and some things like that, but uh, he said he's been having some, some difficult days here, so pray for him, if you will, uh, this morning. Uh, also, uh, Jean Whitener, keep praying for her. She's about to go stir crazy uh, where she's at, ready to get out and about. And uh, Linda Craig, uh, we've had some good reports from her, and uh, they found her lungs are clear from the issues that they that she had, and now it's just an asthma issue that she's dealing with right now, so pray for that. And uh, Jennifer, I guess, is home now until <coughs> June or July, I think it was. So uh, a lot of things to be thankful for and um, other things to be in prayer about. If you have something else you'd like for us to pray about, uh, we'll recognize those real quick. Anything else? We need to be in prayer for. Yes, ma'am. Okay, okay. Well, you missed what? Hawks. Okay. All right. So pray for this one who lost her father. Um, all right. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. 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 All right. So pray for this one who had a heart attack, a friend of Brother Harold's, and that's, I guess, his second time around with a heart attack. So uh, pray for that. Pardon me? Oh, also has had a stroke before. Okay, so pray for that. All right. Uh, Kimmy uh, Dielman uh, called yesterday, too, and the Uber driver that she mentioned several months ago that had the cancer that we've been praying for, um, she's been in touch with her here. Uh, she gives a an indication that she's saved. Miss Kimmy has witnessed to her two or three times now, shared the gospel with her, and she tells her that she says, I know I'm saved. So that's a good thing. We praise the Lord for that. Uh, but she is declining and uh, not doing real well in stage four cancer. And uh, it looks like it's going to be terminal. I think they've called hospice in by now. And um, she asked her yesterday if there was anything we could do for her as a church other than praying for her. And she's in need of somebody that could help get her daughter. Uh, I guess she's up in the city and her daughter's down here somewhere. Uh, get her daughter some transportation to go see her. Uh, so be in prayer about that. And, um, uh, that we, I told her to get the information, uh, the names and addresses and stuff. And we'd see what we could do if we could find a way to get, get that taken care of. But pray for this lady, if you would, uh, it's Miss Kim's friend and, uh, that God would bless there. We praise the Lord for the testimony that she saved. And, um, so that's a, something that's helpful, but, uh, do be in prayer for that, if you will. All right. Anything else? Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so thankful and grateful today that we can come to you in prayer. Lord, what a beautiful day that we have. Another day as we woke up this morning rejoicing that we have a day to set aside and to put our hearts and our minds and our thoughts upon you to uh, how well we were looking forward this morning to the time of fellowship around your people. Lord, what a joy it is. we don't know what we miss sometimes until it's not there. And so, Lord, we're grateful this morning that many of our church family are back together and that we have time to see one another, to uh, encourage one another to fellowship. And, Lord, we are grateful this morning. We do pray that you'll bless uh, the requests that we've mentioned, Lord, many that need physical healing and touch uh, from you. And I pray that you would uh, draw very near to them and heal their bodies, give them strength those that are recovering from things, those that uh, are going through ongoing medical things and physical things, I pray that you would touch them and strengthen them, give grace for the journey, and uh, as they go through these trying times, I pray that the peace of your Holy Spirit will be very near to them. We pray for Brother Bob and uh, his family as they go through the hospice uh, folks and the things that are going on there in his life, and I pray that you would give uh, comfort and strength there as well. And then, Lord, so many things to rejoice over. We've had uh, recent answers to prayer and very uh, things we're very thankful for. And, uh, Lord, you have been so good to us. We're thankful for, again, the opportunity to be here today and pray that you'll bless it and use it in our hearts, that uh, your Holy Spirit will have free reign today in the hearts of our uh, folks that are here and those that will be listening, by the way, of live stream. Lord, may we be sensitive, and I pray that You would help it to be our heart's desire at the onset, before we even get into Your Word, that we will go ahead and make up our minds that if You'll show us Your truth, we will walk in it. I pray that You would help us not to wait for a time of invitation to make our choice, but that we would yield ourselves to You at the onset of the study of Your Word. And so, Father, I pray that You would help us. And then, Lord, that You would draw our hearts closer to You, that we'd love You more today um, than we ever have before. And Lord, as we leave these, uh, this place here today in these services, I pray that our hearts will have been drawn closer to you, that we'll uh, be excited and joyful over who you are and all that you have done for us. May you bless all that we say and do. I pray that it will bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Genesis chapter number 39. We've been studying the life of Joseph, and uh, I don't know about you all, but I have been encouraged by it. I've enjoyed the study of the life of Joseph, it's amazing to me how that um, certainly he does not have, he, he's got a great heritage uh, of, uh, of uh, a godly heritage, let's put it that way, in the aspect that uh, he comes from the line of Abraham who was a man of great faith, uh, certainly not perfect, but a man of great faith. Uh, Isaac, again, uh, considered uh, one of the uh, patriarchs, and uh, while he wasn't as uh, faithful perhaps as his dad was, he still was a man of faith and sought after the Lord. Jacob, of course, uh, boy, he's been back and forth, hasn't he? We spent a lot of time on the life of Jacob, and uh, there's been times that we are impressed with the desire for spiritual things that he had in his life, And then times that we just kind of shake our heads in in wonderment and wonder why in the world is he going there, especially after God has continued to be faithful to him and bless him. And Joseph has grown up in this household that has certainly had um, uh, tumultuous uh, spiritual, there's not been consistency, if you will, uh, in that home. In fact, uh, it's very easy for us in the day that we live to be overly critical and to say that people are... Uh, the product of their home life. And I do, I do believe firmly that the home life plays a big part and is an influence. But I want us to fully understand this, that every man must make his own choice. And every person will get to the place in his life where he is either going to say, uh, that's the way I was raised, that's the way I was brought up, and so I'm going to excuse my sinful life by saying it's the, I'm the product of my home life. Or you can make the choice for the Lord. And every person, no matter what our background is, has to come to a point where we make that choice. And uh, so I want to encourage us in this thing that Joseph is a man who came out of a, uh, a family that really if we look at it, we would say to see the level of, of spiritual character that Joseph has and we look at the family life he came out of, they, they don't kind of line up very well, do they? Uh, it would be easy for us to see how Joseph could uh, be back and forth, be wishy-washy, if you will, because of the life that he's come from. But yet he's a man of consistent spiritual integrity. And boy, what an amazing thing. It's been encouraging to me to to study this and to watch this. And so we're in Genesis chapter number 39. Uh, He's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar has given... Uh, everything into his hands, so much so that uh, Potiphar did not even know what he had himself. In other words, he left everything in Joseph's hand and said, Joseph, you take care of it. And God prospered it because of Joseph, and it grew, and so Potiphar was content with that. He had absolute trust in Joseph, which again speaks very highly to his level of integrity. Uh, that even a, an, uh, what we presume to be an unsaved man here, A man who did not believe in God would put that much trust in a young man, just a a little over 17 years of age at this point, that he would put in trust to this young man everything that he had. And that God would prosper it. And that's where we find it. As we get down uh, to, um, let's start in verse number, uh, let's see here. Let's start in verse number 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day. This wasn't just a one-time thing that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. Now, I want to stop for just a moment, and I'm going to make a couple of observations, and then we're going to look at three lessons today that we learn uh, regarding uh, Joseph's character, and we'll be done with chapter number 39, Lord willing, today. But I want to make two observations that I I think if there's any fault to be found in Joseph, it would be in the aspect that uh, he did not take precautions to keep himself above reproach. Now, even though he still was a young man of integrity and did not give in to the temptation, which we laud and admire and and look at his character and say, boy, praise the Lord, he was steadfast. Amen? Amen. But yet he put himself in a position that really he should have been aware of long before. Because the Bible tells us here in verse number 10, And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. This was not something that he did not see coming. Uh, It was something that um, he was aware of. She obviously had been flirting with him or, or speaking to him in ways that caused him to realize that she was wanting to do these things. And uh, and then the Bible tells us this in verse number 11, and this is the lesson I, I want us to learn from this little observation. It says, And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, notice this, and there was none of the men of the house there within. We live in a day where um, I, I, it's very difficult to live a life above reproach when we put ourselves into compromising situations. Um, Joseph understood that this lady had uh, some things going on in her heart and her mind that were impure. And yet he goes into the house. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us whether he was aware of it or whether he wasn't aware of it. and, And maybe we can give him the benefit of the doubt here this morning that maybe he wasn't aware that she was the only one in the house. But can I say this, that when it comes to the personal standards of our life, that they ought not be based at the very line that is drawn that God gives us between right and wrong. Uh, We need to be careful that we live in a way that it is above reproach. The Bible talks about, and Paul talks about the fact that if if someone that is unsaved makes an accusation against uh, a believer, we ought to have the testimony, we ought to have the life, that makes it almost ridiculous that they would make that that statement against us. Years ago, uh, when I pastored in a church down in Florida, because of uh, how much, there, there are things that the computers do for us today that I think are invaluable, they're helpful, there are things that are uh, fantastic on the internet that we can learn things and grasp things. But can I tell you this, there's an unbelievable amount of wickedness, and the sad fact of the matter is, if we're not careful, there is zero accountability. We've got to be so careful of this. And when I became pastor uh, years ago, back when my dad built the building, uh, all the offices, you didn't think about things like this. They didn't have windows in them. And uh, a man could be in his office and have the door shut. And it used to be that uh, the rule was in our church, if a man was counseling with a lady, that the door had to be open. And especially if he was a married man, he should have had his wife in the office with him during the counseling time only for accountability not because uh we we thought something might happen but to give accountability and to be above reproach that not even an accusation could be made about it as as internet became so prevalent and as uh things that were uh, you could do on the internet without a lot of accountability became prevalent we took steps in our in our in our church down there to be above reproach and one of the things we did is, especially if a, uh, one of our staff men had a computer in their office, they either had to turn their desk where the, the monitor of the computer faced the door, or we put a second monitor in. If they had their desk the other direction, we would put two monitors in and have one facing the door. And then we went through and changed all the doors into French doors with the, the panes of glass in them, where you could see right into the office. And you say, like, that's an extreme. No, we were trying to be in a point where we were above reproach. We are trying to take ourselves out of an accusable situation. And and not that we didn't trust our staff men, but because of the fact we wanted to maintain that trust with those that maybe would not trust them. And and so I, I say all that and I use that as an illustration that when it comes to making personal standards, the standards that are ours, okay, and we understand the difference here. There are standards a church may have. There are standards a pastor may have, but there's always the standards that you have. And they're not always the same. But we need to get to the place where the standards that we have, they're our standards, are such that we don't put them right at the edge of wrong. We keep enough buffer there and enough protection there that that we would not be put into a place of temptation, number one. And secondly, a place of unaccountability when a lost world looks at us. An accusation could be made. For instance, I think it would have been wise for Joseph to have had this standard in his life, and he may have, and maybe he just didn't realize the situation he was walking into. I think it would have been wise for Joseph to have said, if there's nobody else in the building or in the house, I'm not going in while my master's wife is in there. And the question then, if that becomes the standard, the question then becomes this. Is it wrong for Joseph to go into, is it it morally wrong from God to go into a house where a woman is? The answer is no. It's not morally wrong. But don't make your standard right there. Put a standard in place. And the Bible talks about it. I think it's in the book of Proverbs. Uh, that that, it, Or it might be in um, Ecclesiastes. It talks about putting a hedge in place. Uh, the idea that... <coughs> That we put. Uh, in fact, I remember, and I can't remember. The, I wish I could remember the, the uh, reference to it. But there's a passage of scripture that talks about uh, the foolishness of a, of a person who will build a. a, a the, years ago in Bible times, they would build the roofs where you could go out in the evening times and sit on the roofs, and uh, that you would not put a bulwark around the edge of the roof, and because of that, people would fall off and die and get hurt because there wasn't the protection there. And can I tell you, there needs to be some bulwarks. There needs to be some hedges in our life that are not necessarily what the Bible says is the difference between right and wrong, but are things that keep us from even getting to that point. setting the fence far enough back from the edge of the cliff that if we happen to go over that fence in a time of weakness, we still have not sinned. We still have not done wrong. And if there's any criticism at all that we can find, and I'm not even real sure we can find it here because, again, the Bible's not clear whether Joseph had these standards and maybe just didn't know. But if there's any criticism to be given to Joseph, one observation I have this morning is he put himself in a situation knowing that day by day this woman's been after him. He walks into the house knowing that she's there by her, with her there by herself. We need to be careful of these things. It used to be a day when people didn't even think about those kind of things. But we live in such a vile and corrupt culture that all it takes today is an accusation. It has become so out of control, and I think in a large part because the moral fabric of our of our society and i 'm going to say this, the moral fabric of even Christians has spiraled downward in the last few years we 've got to be so careful of this. and uh, i don 't think you ought to make the standards that your pastor encourages you to have or the standards that maybe a church has. I don't think you ought to make those the minimum standards. There ought to be things in your life that you look at and you say, I know that's a weakness for me, or I know that may be perceived by somebody else as something that's questionable. Therefore, I will stay away from it. Paul said it this way, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. And we need to base standards not on what's lawful, but on what is expedient. What is it that's going to give us the best home field advantage over that temptation and put it into place in our life? So I want to encourage us in that. second notice that I have here is I want us to look at Potiphar's wife for a moment. Verse number 12. The Bible says, "...and she called him by by his garment, saying, Lie with me." And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house... And spake unto them, notice this, saying, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to Who is she speaking of here? Who's the he? Who is it? Her husband, isn't it? She did something that was wrong here. Would we agree with that? She, she certainly has been after him day by day, and the thoughts of her heart and the intents of her heart were immoral at best. Uh, they're wrong. She does a wrong action against Joseph, And then she goes and she blames who? She blames her husband, doesn't she? Here we find something that is prevalent among those that are lost, but I'm sad to say in the day that we live, we find that it is becoming more and more prevalent in the hearts and lives of God's people. And that is this, that we do not take responsibility for our own actions. We get to the place where we seem to try to pass the buck. And and by the way, it's human nature. Let me rephrase that. It's flesh nature. Okay? Let's, let's, Let's clarify that. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Because if you think about it, when God came to Adam in the garden after they had taken of the fruit, what was Adam's response to God when he says, why have you eaten of the fruit? He said, the woman thou gavest me, Lord. Not only is it the woman's fault, but you're the one that gave her to me, Lord. is that not what he said? And you can see how Adam is almost, well, not almost, he does, doesn't he? He blames God. God, you're the one. If you had never given me the woman, I'd have been okay. What does the woman do? He says, "He, what have you done? What does the woman say? The serpent thou hast made. Right? This serpent. And while she doesn't word that, she's saying, Lord, you made the serpent. And that serpent, you know, the one you made, he's the one that came to get me to do. That is the sinful nature that we fight and that we war against. You understand that? And so so nothing new here other than to say this is something that is associated with the flesh nature. This is something associated with our old nature that was under the bondage of sin and death. It is not to be associated with those that walk in the Spirit. Those that walk in the Spirit, the Bible says that we are to come to God and to confess our sins. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And by the way, that's not for salvation. If you read that verse in its context, that is for fellowship with God. Big, big difference there. So just a couple observations. Those are not the lesson this morning. Now we're going to look at the lesson real quick. Three things that we find in the, in the character of, um, of Joseph, and, and we're going to bring in a conclusion here uh, on the three of them, and uh, the third one actually will be the conclusion. I want you to look very quickly with me that uh, as um, we get down to verse number 16, and she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us, there it is again, came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prisoner. Notice verse 21. But the Lord was what? With Joseph. Where's Joseph at? Joseph is in prison, isn't he? He's not the Lord over his master's house anymore, is he? He's in the prison, and yet the Bible says the Lord was with him, doesn't it? That's an amazing thought. Think about this for a moment. And it says here, and it showed him mercy, and he showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now watch this. Joseph was at a point where there was prosperity in his life. Things were starting to look up from all the things that his brothers had done to him, aren't they? I mean, he he had been thrown in the pit in fear of his life, sold into slavery. He gets into Potiphar's house, and for the first time in, in months, things start looking up. Boy, God is sure prospering. God is blessing. I'm thankful to God. Boy, it sure paid to do what was right. And then all of a sudden this happens. And I'm sure that it was easy for Joseph to rejoice and to know that God's presence was there when the prosperity came. But it was hard and it's very difficult for many of us when the the, the things are not prospering the way we think they ought to, to realize that God is there too. In fact, there's a whole uh, group, and we're going to, Lord willing, start a series here. Uh, I think it's either next Sunday, or we may wait two Sundays, a couple Sundays, uh, Sundays from that, because um, I'll be out of town one Sunday in there. But we're going to start a new series, because there's a whole group of teaching that's out there today that says the only test for, for uh, spirituality or God's presence is whether or not your life is prospering. Very important that we understand this, that God sometimes will bring us to the mountaintop and prosper us, and sometimes He'll bring us into times of testing. But He is always there. He was not forsaken by God, and this is the teaching that's given many times, is that when our life is not prospering, that God has forsaken us because of something we have done. I want you to notice this, not that He was forsaken, but He was fortified by God through the valley. Well, wouldn't that that be wonderful if we could learn that truth? It's amazing to me as we get down here and we see that God is with him in the prison. And God does some things here. Look what it says here in verse number 21. That the Lord was with Joseph and what? Showed him mercy. God's mercy was still there in the prison. Then it says this, and gave him what? Favor. In the sight of the keeper of the prison. Even though from a man's perspective, it seems that Joseph's life is not prospering, is God still prospering Joseph? Yes or no? Yes, He is. Sometimes His prospering is not what we expect it to be. It's amazing as we understand this truth. When Jesus was tempted of Satan during his earthly ministry, he was out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible says that he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. There are multiple times that we'll read in Scripture that God's leading brought them to times of testing. And the thing that God was trying to teach them is, I'm still there with you. I'm reminded of the story when uh, God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his only son Isaac. I love, I love Abraham's response. As God tells him, he says, Abraham, he calls out to him, and Abraham says, here am I. Before God even told him what he wanted, Abraham said, I'm willing. Lord, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. My answer is already yes, here am I. I'm going to do it. And God tells him to do that. And as I read that, story years ago, I didn't understand what God was doing. And I thought, boy, God must have really wanted Isaac. No, I missed it. Because that story is not at all about God getting Isaac. That story is all about God getting Abraham. He wanted Abraham's heart. And I'll tell you, there are times that from a man's perspective, our life may not be seeming to prosper but God is using it for His good, for our good, and for His glory, because He's causing us to get to the place where our hearts belong to Him. And the, and Joseph saw this. We're talking about a young man, seventeen, maybe eighteen, maybe nineteen years old, somewhere around there. This time he he went into the captivity at seventeen, so not very old. And he has spiritual maturity well beyond his years, doesn't he? I'm talking about, there are those that the Bible talks of in the book of Hebrews that ought to, let's, let's take a minute and see if I can find that passage. I think it's in Hebrews 4, if I'm not mistaken, maybe Hebrews 4 or 5. Let's take a look at it. Hold your place there. We're going to come back. We're going to take a rabbit trail for a minute. Can we do that? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, there we go. Verse, chapter number 5, okay? So look with me, if you will, in verse number 12. Uh, let's back at verse number 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers. So so the writer of Hebrews here is speaking that there's some of you that have been saved long enough that you ought to be able to teach the things of God. You ought to have grown. You ought to have learned. You ought to have been in a place where you can teach others. And by the way, if that's not happening in our Christian life, we need to be making strides on that every single day to become closer and closer to God. And that comes from studying His Word. Now, notice it says this, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Some of you ought to be in a place where you're teaching others, and you're at the place where you need to be taught the very basics of the Christian life again. "...and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk," notice this, "...is unskillful in what? In what? The word of righteousness." So how do we get to the place where we become teachers? How do we get to the place where we're not on the milk of the word, but we're now on the meat of the word? We must become skillful in the word of righteousness." That means we've got to study it. We've got to learn about it. We've got to be workmen that need not to be ashamed. But strong meat belongs to them who are, 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 who are of full age. Not, not chronologically, but maturity wise. Who, uh, the Bible says, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The fact that we get to the place where we know what God's Word says and then we practice it. And we practice it some more. Are we going to, are we going to succeed every single time? No. But we're going to continue to come back to it and say, no, I failed it. I failed that time. Dust myself off. Let's get back up. Here's what it says. I'm going to live by that again. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to learn these things. And so, very, very important that we understand that there are times that God will put us in situations and we ought to know how to react or respond to them. Here's a young man, 17, 18, 19 years old, that was years beyond what many Christians are today, spiritually. There are a lot of folks today, and I'll tell you this, your pastor battles this as much as any other person. That there is a tendency of the human nature to draw our hearts away from God. It happens, folks. Nothing wrong with us saying that my heart has been pulled. How we respond to that is what we will give account for. It's a battle every one of us faces day by day. We will be put in times of tempting. We will be put in times of testing. And how we respond in a large part, will will measure and will be the measure of the spiritual maturity whether or not we are on the meat of the Word or on the milk of the Word. Now, notice, I want you to notice this, and I've already alluded to it slightly, that outward prosperity is no test for God's presence in our life. Now, I will say this, that when God's presence is in our life, there are times of even man's opinion of prosperity. There are times of that. But that is not the test for God's presence because the Bible talks about, and the psalmist many times went to God and said, why do the heathen prosper? I live for you, and I'm not prospering like this wicked man over here who's not doing anything. The test of God's presence in our life is not by man's standard of prosperity. Look with me, if you will, in, uh, uh let's look in Philippians chapter number 4 for a moment. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. And by the way, th- this is part of, uh, we're going to be dealing a lot more, and a lot more in depth on that particular thought when we get into our series here in a week or so. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 12. Paul said this, I know both, how... now Paul. Paul's, how many of us would be in agreement that Paul was a, a pretty, pretty good Christian for the most part? He's the only one that God allowed to pen by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. He's the only man that got the permission to write that. Paul's, Paul's a, a pretty, pretty solid Christian. Not perfect, certainly not perfect. We're not to worship him. But, but a priest, a man who was steadfast, a man who had run his race, had been faithful, and had finished his course. Would we be in agreement on that? Now, notice what he says here, verse number twelve, I know both how to be what, abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be what? Hungry, both to abound and to what suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which Strengtheneth me. doesn't matter whether from man's perspective I am abounding or from man's perspective if I am being abased. In all of it, I can trust God. It is not the test of God's presence in our life to simply have man's prosperity. God's presence in our life, as we see very vividly indicated here in the life of Joseph, could very well be in the prisons of our life. He can be close to us in some of the darkest days. Look with me if you want Romans chapter number 5. Very important that we see this concept, this truth. Because we're living in a day where even God-fearing, God believing, Bible-believing Christians in solid, doctrinally sound churches are swallowing the lie that is being preached and taught and propagated today in many of the health, wealth, and prosperity ministries because of this one particular truth that we misunderstand. Look with me in Romans chapter number 5, and verse number 1. Paul says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in what? Wait a minute, wait a minute. According to the preachers out there on television, I'm not supposed to have tribulations in my life, am I? Not if I'm a godly person. Not if I'm sowing my seed, right? I glory in tribulations. Well, that doesn't line up, does it? Also, knowing that that tribulation worketh patience. You think tribulation might work for our good? Oh, absolutely it does. And patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. When, Paul? When I'm in tribulation. He's there. His presence is there. His working is there. The Holy Spirit is there. Look with me in Second Corinthians chapter number twelve. Second Corinthians chapter number twelve. Very important that we know this and be grounded in it so we don't we don't we're not deceived and drawn away by things that sound good to the ear, but are not Bible. Look with me in Second Corinthians chapter number twelve and verse number seven. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given unto me a what? A thorn in the flesh. Wait a minute, Paul. That's not what I've been taught. I've been taught that if you are uh, living for the Lord, if you love God with all your heart, He's just going to prosper your life, and you're not going to be sick, and you're not going to be poor, you're not going to be abased. What are you talking about, Paul? That God sent you? God sent you a thorn in the flesh? Yes. Because notice what Paul says here. Verse number 8 For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, Who's he? The Lord. And he said unto me, My grace is what? Sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in prosperity. Is that what it says? My strength is made perfect in your health. Is that what it says? My strength is made perfect. When you have a lot of money. Is that what it says? It says, My strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know how many people out there today will teach that if you have the power of Christ, you won't be sick. You won't won't be needing money. God's just going to prosper your life. Can I tell you this? We need to learn vividly from the life of Joseph that outward prosperity is not a sign or a test of the presence of God. Can there be prosperity with the presence of God? Yes. Is it the test that we use to determine whether His presence is there or not? No. Because there are times that He's also in the valley. How about you? I like it when it's up here though, don't you? (laughs) I love His presence when he's blessing, And uh, I, I think that's a wonderful thing. But we ought not ever get to the place where that is our test for the presence of God in our life. All right, let's look at, again. Last thing that I want you to see today. God's will needs to become the rule of our life. Now, how many of you have ever used or, or heard the expression, Well, that's the exception, not the rule. You all know what I'm talking about? Something will happen and be like, uh, boy, that's the exception, not the rule. That's not what normally happens. You know, we're living in a day where in our lives a lot of times we make the will of God the exception. (laughs) Most of the time we have our will done and occasionally the exception is we'll seek God's will. Joseph knew what it was to make God's will the rule of his life. The exception was, boy, I messed up there. Boy, I better get back. I want the will of God more than anything. The exception is, I messed up. We've got it backwards. We're living in a day where for the most part, our society as a whole, and even among God's people, we have it backwards. We pat ourselves on the back and we pride ourselves on the acceptable times, the exceptional times, that we seek God's will. And we think we've done something awesome. We think that we have really arrived spiritually and that we are mature in the Christian life. When the truth of the matter is, in Romans chapter number 12, Paul tells us that's just our reasonable service. That's just what is supposed to be the rule of our life, to seek God's will. To lay our will on the altar and say, "Lord, not my will, but Thy will." Wouldn't it be? What What do you think God could do with a group of Christians who would get to the place where they were committed wholly to making God's will the rule of their life? Boy, do you think God's power might rest on those people? You think maybe God would do something exceptional? through those people, by way of using them to reach people with the gospel. Oh, I think it would. Joseph understood this because he made the will of God and not his will, the rule of his life. Joseph was able to resist temptation. You know, the Bible says, that according to the book of James, he tells us why we fall into temptation. He says, every man is tempted when he is What? Drawn away and enticed of his own lusts. Isn't that what he says? The only way we can ever get to the place where we resist temptation is to put our will aside and make God's will the rule of our life. When we succumb to temptation, when we do temptation, it's because we've made it the exception to do God's will and the rule to do ours. Because he made God's will the rule of his life, he was able to resist temptation. We saw it in this chapter. He was able to remain faithful to his responsibilities even though he had a worldly master. Because he was serving, according to Paul, as servants are to serve their masters in the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. We're to serve our masters as we are... as if we were unto the Lord. We're to be faithful in all those things, are we not? That's, that's God's will. Our will is, that's a worldly boss, that's a worldly master. You well, know, you know, it's just a worldly master. I don't know if I'm going to be faithful in those areas or not. Joseph knew to be faithful to his earthly master because he made God's will in his life the rule. And I want you to notice he was forgiving of the wrongs that had been committed against him. You know how easy it would have been? I, I'll be honest with you. I, I've pastored now for a number of years, Brother Dan's pastor, and I, I, he could probably stand and say the same thing. I don't want to speak for him, but he probably could, I think. It's amazing to me over the years to see what offends certain people. <laughs> I'm talking about people get upset if you paint the building the wrong color of paint. And they're offended by it. They'll quit a church over it. They won't step back in the church over something as simple. Here's a young man who if he had ever uh, had a right to be bitter and angry and unforgiving, Joseph was there. He could have been bitter at his dad. He could have been bitter at his brother's. He certainly could have been bitter at his, wife's, his master's wife. He certainly could have been bitter at his master. He could have been bitter that he found himself in prison. But because God's will was the rule of Joseph's life, not the exception, he was able to resist temptation. He was able to be faithful to his responsibilities. And he was forgiving of the wrongs that had been committed against him. I love the story of Joseph. It gives us something to look at and say, here's a young man. What we as adults would look at and say, before his character has even had time to develop, who has already had a level of maturity about him that many of us strive to have. And it's all because one thing, He made the will of God the rule of his life. And it was that simple. When that happened, his maturity was what it should have been. When that happened, his integrity, his character was what it should have been. Oh, that we would strive to make God's will the rule rather than the exception. Father, we thank you for the day that you've given. We pray that you bless the Sunday school hour. Lord, use the truth. May we not soon forget it. May we learn from these pages the things that will be helpful to us. And, God, I pray that you would bless and encourage us throughout the services yet to come. Thank you for the time of fellowship around your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll be back in about, uh, oh, looks like about ten minutes or so. I'm to go ahead and trigger it to start it again. And uh, after you hit that opening slide, you may have to hit the screen button.